What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Ridge Raised Outdoors podcast. And on this episode, I'm going to give Jake Bush a call. He is from Southern Ohio. Um, He's going to tell us a a little bit about himself, tell us his story and and whatnot. But before we get into it, the verse for this episode is out of John. It's John 3.8. It says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And like all the episodes, it's going to tie into what we talk about today. The discussion with Jake um, is going to be pretty good. Um, He's obviously really knowledgeable on uh, wind and thermals. He hunts hill country in in southern Ohio. Um, But, you know, we're also just going to get into some early season tactics and locating bucks and and stuff like that so i'm pretty excited for for this episode and um yeah let's get right into it all right what's going on everybody welcome back to the ridge rays outdoors podcast this is episode number 13 and i have jake bush on the line with me jake what's going on man hey how you doing man i'm doing well um thanks for coming on man i appreciate it. we've been trying to do this for for a little while now and I it's always hard to to you know get a hold of you you're so busy scouting and doing everything and and whatnot so I'm pretty pumped yeah I'm definitely fired up to uh talk some whitetails with you you're fired up about whitetails period <laughs> it's yeah it's all the time man. Yep. it never fails <laughs> yep all right so yeah just I mean tell us a little bit about yourself and and kind of your story and and then we'll get we'll get into the the meat and potatoes of things yeah, perfect. So my name is Jake Bush. I, uh, I'm a whitetail nut, just like probably all you guys listen to this podcast. Um, my roots started real young. You know, I grew up around bow hunting and uh, hunting in general, you know, small game and big game. Uh, I remember being a kid, two, three years old, holding my grandpa and my dad's bucks in the back of their trucks when they shoot them and tracking deer for them. And it was just something that really, it caught my eye early on. And it was something that I was I've always been overly passionate about it and uh it's evolved throughout the years it you know life got in the way for a little bit but i got back home to new york uh a couple years ago and i was there and i was killing some good bucks some four and five year old bucks and i decided you know what i'm ready to take the leap and really go pursue some world-class whitetails and so i sold my house quit my job and I ended up moving down to uh southern ohio and that's where i'm at now and it's 365 days a year. I mean, I'm chasing these big public land bucks around. I'm doing everything I can to get in front of them and figure them out. And, uh, it's been a blast so far, man. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that's the dream, man. I like, I always kind of joke with my wife and she always kind of gives me crap about it. But you know, if I was single, I'd, I'd probably move somewhere too. And, but you know, it is what it is. I got a wife and a kid and you know, everything's going good, but there's some decent, you know, there's some decent bucks if you find them you know, in PA and stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm not over here complaining, but there's definitely some big boys in Ohio. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And you know, Pennsylvania is really a well-kept secret. There is some pockets that have really good bucks and it's, it's really, if you can get out and put the work in, you know, you can, you can catch them. I think every state for the most part has its good pockets and same thing with Ohio. You know, there's areas of Ohio that I've scouted that I'll never go back to for the exact same reason. 
yeah. a lot of hunter pressure and maybe not the best nutrients. And, you know, I, I have pockets of deer down here that, you know, 50 miles apart, these pockets, the average buck might be 30 inches bigger. And that's something to just consider as well. If you're a, if you're an antler size guy. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of blessed where I'm at up here in, um, Northwestern Pennsylvania. There's some pretty good bucks. Uh, you know, I was hunting, uh, 150 on on public last year he was uh finding him for two years he was a, a typical 12 pointer and uh you know he ended up getting shot by the amish i know you know a couple times i've talked about it on the the podcast here but yeah it's like it's like you were saying you just got to get out there put boots on the ground and find and find him i know uh you know i we we go to the fair here every year and i i have a booth for our um for our thing and you know we had our bucks up there and one of my bucks that I killed, I had it up, you know, mounted on the wall there. And I had a couple guys from around here came up to me and they're like, where'd you kill that? Ohio, where'd you kill that? You know, Iowa or wherever. And I'm like, no, 10 minutes from here. And they all looked at me like, like a couple of guys looked at me like, you're kidding, right? And I'm like, no, like they're around here. You just got to find them. Like that's all, you know, he's only a one, he's only, you know, 130 something incher. And, you know, they, they didn't, they actually, they, they thought I was lying. It was like, but yeah, like you were saying, you just got to get out there and and just put boots on the ground and find them, you know. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you know the thing about it too, man. Like, you know, it's it's not only just a uh, just a one hundred and thirty inch buck. A one hundred and thirty inch buck is a huge deer, especially oh, yeah. in the right area. I mean, that's that's a feat. You know, I grew up in southwestern New York, so I was like not far from where you're at at all. And I've killed a, a bunch of four and five year old deer that are, you know, 115 to 120, 125 inches at max. Right. And, it, you know, that those were those were awesome deer for back there. So that's the other thing, too. You know, it's all it's all relative to where you're at and you have to kind of adjust your goals based on that. And, and you know, like maybe maturity is more important. You know, shooting a buck in the four to five age class range is more important than antler size necessarily true that yeah and you can't you can't kill 150 160 inch deer if they're not living in your in the woods you're hunting so you always got to remember that you know what i mean people talk about oh well i'm i'm mo- i'm only going 150 and higher well if you don't really have a 150 and higher in your woods then it's not going to happen you know what i mean so but that's yeah that's exactly it. that's the that's the name of the game though you just got to get out there and find them but um so yeah, the the first year, what was it? The first year you lived in Ohio. I think you, you know, we ended up meeting last weekend at the the road show there, the Lone Wolf Custom Beer and XOP Road Show. And uh, you you said what was it? Your second hunt, you shot that that big, uh, non typical, right? Yeah, yep. So it was my second hunt. Uh, I moved down here to Ohio in June, and I didn't have any sort of scouting up to that point besides just e scouting, which. If you know me, you know, I've spent months online before I even stepped boots on the ground. Right. And uh, I really just, I tore through a lot of land. I mean, I was driving probably up to almost two and a half, three hours was my, like, the maximum that I would drive. So I checked, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres of these specific areas that I was looking for. And I canceled a lot of them out. I found a lot of good areas that had good historical sign. And those areas that I thought would be good, I threw some cameras out and uh, got a lot of good bucks right away. I mean, within a couple weeks, you know, even by the end of June, early July, I really had a bunch of giant bucks on camera. 
And then it was a matter of, of trying to get some sort of pattern on them and trying to locate a deer or two that were more patternable than the other ones. You know, if I could, my goal that year was 150 inch deer in Ohio. That was the, that was the goal I set for myself. And I had a bunch of those deer to, to chase. But the important thing about that was that I, I went after the one that I thought was the most killable at that point. And right. regardless of, regardless of size, you know, you can, you can play that game, go shoot the biggest buck that you find, or maybe you have a buck that's five inches less, but he's really killable. Maybe that's the deer that you target. And, uh, but yeah, so it ended up being uh, day, day one of my hunt. It was actually the third day of season, but I worked the first two days. I hunted a big buck on a CRP field that I knew about, and he was coming to a bean field. And I got in there, it was 95 degrees out. I set up, never saw a deer. He never, he wasn't in that bed that I thought he was. So day two, I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I mean, I could, that, that hunt before I was in a kill spot, but I could see a long ways and I never saw him. So I was like, okay, maybe he got blown out of here. So day two, I switched it up and went to the complete different type of terrain. And now I'm in hill country, which makes a ton of sense in my head. And, uh, two weeks before that i had bumped this deer out of his bed just scouting that area but i knew exactly what bed he was in i knew what scrape he was going to hit i knew what oak tree he was going to go to and i got in about 80 yards from his bed set up on him and he poured right down off the ridge perfect right to that oak tree and i I shot him broadside at 30 yards yeah i remember watching that video on your one youtube channel there it's incredible um it, that's really what it came came down to, you know. You you e scouted and you located a couple bucks that you were gonna you know go for, and you went for the one that you thought was most killable. You know what I mean? Um, that was one of our topics we were gonna talk about is locating bucks. Um, now, when you got in there, you said you got within like eighty yards of that of that bedded buck or what? Yeah, I was I was set up within eighty yards, and that's kind of. You know, all these areas that I'm scouting, so I'm scouting, you know, you you check something out on a map and you get a good idea of what it's going to look like when you get there. And then you put boots on the ground and nine times out of 10, it's a little bit different. So if there's a, say there's a giant buck that's set on a ridge where it's wide open and you just, you physically can't get within 150 yards of them. I'm not hunting that deer because I can't get close enough to that deer to where I think he's going to move in daylight. You know, this buck, was in a was on a ridge that was really thick it had briars it had a lot of really tall undergrowth that was like almost head high with a couple openings and i i knew that he would feel comfortable enough to move you know let's say 60 yards from that bed within daylight to that first oak tree and i knew that i could get within that kill radius and if you don't think you can get within that kill radius you're out of you're out of the game you know you have to be able to get close enough to these big mature bucks which is kind of my other my other point you know i always hear guys talk about it drives me nuts i'll hear somebody talk about oh i chased this buck all year and uh he's nocturnal i i don't think there's a nocturnal deer out there do they do they move less during daylight absolutely but i think every buck at some point is going to get up and move you know it might be 10 yards you say that he doesn't move 50 yards when he gets up say he moves 10 yards I think every deer is going to get up and give you an opportunity to kill them if you're close enough. If you can get close enough, you can have that opportunity on a deer. They're always somewhere. Whether you have to morning hunt them and you have to be waiting on their bed when they J-hook in or whether you can sneak in there in the afternoon, every buck has a killable moment 
every day if you can figure it out. Yeah, that's what we talked about over the weekend when we were just kind of standing around waiting, you know, just kind of BSing there. But, you know, we talked about the whole morning and, and evening thing, but we did talk about, like, how, like you said, the nocturnal buck thing. Like, I don't believe in it either because, like I said, when you know, when we were discussing it, like, they might move 10 or 15 yards and browse and then lay back down, and two hours later they get back up. Like, I've, I've witnessed that before out in the swamp. So it's true. It's just, you know, the buck I was hunting this year, that that 150 inch deer, the that 12 point. The thing was about him, you know. Now that you say that, like I really wasn't in the game, um, you know, or at least early season there because I knew I knew where he bedded, but he bedded on straight up posted property, like nobody even hunts it. Like it's just this huge patch of you know posted property in between two properties I had to hunt one was public and one was just this permission property that a buddy owns but he would spend a lot of his time on the public and I wasn't even really in the game because there was so much posted in there that pretty much before it even got you know darker I guess light in the morning you know it would just he was already back in his bed or he was not close enough to where I could set up on the public ground so that's a really good point that you made. You, you got to hunt the buck that, that is killable, not just because you have a 150-inch deer doesn't mean you're in the game kind of thing. And the early season tactics that you used, you know, that they, they kind of, they definitely got me, they, they definitely got me pumped up for early season because, you know, when we were younger and, you know, even just a few years ago, the craze was, and it still is, really just, hunting the rut you know just wait in a funnel wait in a pinch point and just wait on a deer and you know these these tactics that we have discussed and that you use you know it's just you got to go to him you know and if you can't kill him move on to the next deer is that kind of what you're hinting to yeah 100 percent. and i do i do think that there's a time for everything you know if you're if you're hunting one deer or say you're hunting a couple deer, there's a time when they will move further. You know, you get closer to the end of October, you can catch these deer slipping up and moving a couple hundred yards. Or during the rut, rut, obviously it's on. So don't don't take that for everything, but for like an early season or late season or, or like any sort of hunt where you're trying to get in really close and kill a deer as efficiently as possible, that's going to be a little bit different. So you have different styles of hunting. But yeah, as far as like, you know, what we're talking about, we're going in for the early season kill. That is that is 100% the way it is. Right. And I there's definitely people that have different, um, you know, scenarios that, they, that they're in or different hunting styles. And some people might be more of like a rut hunter or just, you know, sit in a pinch point or a funnel, like I said, and just wait on a deer to come by. And that's that's still a great tactic to, to shoot a mature deer. I mean, especially late in the year, but specifically talking about early season like you have to get close to that bed either in the morning like we've talked about just get up and when they j-hook in or in the evening when you know you have to be within that how close do you think you have to be to be in the game jake like in the evening at least so that's that's relative on a couple things and normally from what I see, you know, I'm finding these locations that are, I'm, I'm really picky about the spots I'm hunting. So out of everything I scout, out of, you know, all the man hours all year, the hundreds of miles of scouting, the 
just endless hours of e-scouting, everything dials down to, let's say, five locations, right? Let's say I pick five locations that I think are lights out, giant bucks are there, multiple giant bucks, and I can kill them. From, from that point, I guess, from, from that point, it's really going to be, could ask me the question again, rephrase that question for me one time. So, so basically, like, when they J-hook in that bed in the morning, you know, and then, like we talked about over the weekend, remember when we were talking about, like, even just a marsh buck or whatever, you know, a swamp buck, and they have that main trail that they come in in the morning, you know, usually they're using that main trail, but in the evening, they might use that main trail for, you know, we'll say 50 yards. And then it usually, if you, if you scout like a buck bed, you know, and you scout main trails, usually there's one main trail that goes in, in the morning and they J hook into their bed. And then in the evening they'll come out. And then like we've talked about, you'll see them come out of their bed and then they'll wind check for shoot. Sometimes it's even 10 or 15 minutes and then they either it's either like okay well i'm going to go the acorns tonight i'm going to go towards the doe bedding tonight i'm going to go towards this tonight or whatever it's like they almost get to a certain point where they they pick a trail and they go so that's why i we've discussed you know getting close enough to that main trail and and where they bed so you can catch them coming and you're close enough and you're in the game kind of thing so how that's yeah, what so- i'm saying how, so how close do you think that that is I got you. So proximity to bedding. So it's going to be uh, relative to to different areas. And if it's in, you know, hill country, unpressured, it could be, you know, you might have to be within 80 yards. But if it's really pressured, you might have to be within 10 yards. If it's in a swamp, you, I mean, generally it's going to be on that transition line from the thick to like the open hardwood. Say you have like a cattail line. Yep. So it's, it's going to be relative to that. What I normally find in hill country for say is like, you know, I'll, I'll find a buck up on him, up on a ridge and I'll know where he's, where his final destination for the night is. What's that deer's destination food source. Let's say it's cornfield, right? Private cornfield. So I have where he's bedding and I have his cornfield. I'm going to start tracking that deer back to figure out where a sign, the, the closest sign to his bed. So generally what I'll find is, you know, you'll have like some rubs and a scrape. You'll have your hub scrape. But normally, even before the hub scrape, that deer gets up and he's feeding on something, whether it's, say he's up on a ridge and he comes down, there's a briar patch, or there's some good undergrowth he's milling around on, or there's, my favorite, hands down, is a single white oak tree. Yep. If you can find a single white oak tree within 100 yards of a buck bed that has sign around it, that's on the way to the destination food source, you have to be set up on that. And don't go any, there's no reason to go any further at that point. Now, if you have a ridge system with oak trees all over the place, it's a little bit different. But if you can find the single oak tree, that's what you want to be set up on. And I feel like they always they're, they always get up and they're eating a little bit. They're doing some sort of eating before pitch black, before while well, you can still get a shot. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, I, I, I've witnessed them, you know, come out of their bed and walk 10 yards and mill around for 20 minutes and it's right before dark and then I'm kind of out of the – you know, out of the game there kind of thing, you know, but they, that's the thing with, and I've hunted, uh, you know, recently I've hunted swamps and stuff like that, but I do have this one public spot that they bed back on the islands and then they come out to this one lone, uh, white oak tree, but it didn't really, 
produce acorns much last year, but the, it did the year before, and there there were piles of deer, you know, pretty much coming right up to that oak tree, like right before dark. So I guess it also kind of depends on, you know, how how good your uh, acorn is that year, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And and then, you know, if you have a bad acorn year, what else are they feeding on? You know, you got to that's where woodsmanship really comes into it, because you have to figure out what else they're feeding on in that area. You know, like yesterday, uh, Johnny Stewart and I were out scouting around and we got into a couple briar patches and we were looking around. And he's like, hey, look at all these briar tips nipped off. And it was like, yeah, yeah you know, those are nipped off. And you can actually if you, if you really start paying attention to it, it's like, OK, well, those are brown these ones haven't even browned yet. These were dipped off in like the last couple nights, you know, like, so you can really start fine tuning it like that to get yourself in the right spot. Right. And to hit on that, you found, you found a set of some giant antlers out there, didn't you with Johnny? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. It had uh, oh, over man. 13 inch, over 13 inch G2s. It was unbelievable. Holy cow. That was in PA, wasn't it? Or was that Ohio? That was, that was Ohio. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I was. I thought you guys, because Johnny hunts a lot of A and F stuff in PA. I'm pretty sure, and I figured you guys were in PA or something. But is that was that a was that some public that you have hunted in the past, or you guys just kind of do some random scouting? So that was that was Johnny's, and uh, I was really just going out to learn from him. I mean, the guy is amazing, and you know that's regardless of like the success that I've had and that some of these guys have you know I, I want to learn from all these guys that are even you know they just make me look silly in the woods and it's it's such a good opportunity between listening to them on podcasts actually going out there and seeing the way that they approach certain things I mean yesterday in five hours I learned so much from them it was awesome yeah that's awesome that's incredible because just just standing around talking to you guys you and Cody and, and the guys at the the road show you know I, I learned some things there and that's what it's all about like if you want to up your game your archery game and your mobile mobile game like it's it's good to surround yourself around those kind of people that just it burns inside them just as much as it does you you know what I mean it, it, there were some guys there that well I thought I was the only, well there was just one guy there at least he goes I thought I was the only one that thought about whitetails all the time and it's like no I'm pretty sure 95 percent of everybody else here thinks about it as much as you do and he kind of laughed you know but yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fire that burns deep within some of us, and it's a blast, man. I mean, getting getting to meet all these guys that are the same way just makes it even burn worse. You know what I mean? It's like it's never ending. It's incredible. Oh yeah, it's fun. Well, um, so we talked about locating bucks. How do you? So, when you're scouting, obviously you put a lot of boots on the ground, and you're a big shed hunter and and whatnot. But when you're typically scouting, like like for example, you went out with Johnny yesterday. Um, what were, what was your guys's um, goal? I guess for you know it, it's June. It's it's mid June right now. What was your guys's goal? Was it was your obviously your goal is to learn some things from them. But what did you guys kind of go over and you guys just kind of walk around just scouting and then what what was going through your guys's mind when you were doing that? So it's a little bit with him down here because he's setting up for the rut you know he plans on hunting back home a lot and then he'll come here for the rut and so he was he was really focused on like travel routes uh like 
you know, the, the hidden pinch points that you can't find. He is a big, like really steep hill guy. He really likes the trails on the side of a hill. He was basically trying to find where a deer would want to be, where he's coming from. You know, we found a lot of beds and he would almost like, it was amazing to watch. He, he would almost act like a deer. And he was like, well, you know, if I'm on this trail, this guy up here can't see me if he's on top of the ridge or if he's down here and this hill rolls a little bit and it gives me more cover. And it was, it was really amazing to see. Now, as far as I go for early season, it's a little bit different. And the things that I'm looking for early season wise are, you know, we, we've kind of covered on them. We're, I go out with the intention of finding the exact beds that that buck lays in, whether it's one bed or whether it's 10 beds, I try to find the beds. I try to find hair in them. I try to find the exact same track in a lot of them so I can say, okay, this deer is in this bed. You know, I'll scrape up the different layers of leaves throughout the year and verify that there's hair in those, like underneath each layer of leaves throughout the year because he's there more often. Where if it's just hair on top of the leaves, maybe it's just a winter bed. Right. You know, as far as beds go, I'll go that in depth with it. You know, I'll try to find my doe bedding areas. I'll, I'll try to find satellite bedding which normally you'll have like the the absolute best beds where there's like there's no doubt the biggest buck here is laying in this bed but you'll find the satellite bedding kind of dispersed throughout there as well and that kind of helps me figure out a how many deer are in this area you know is there more than one mature buck and how can i access this place to kill this deer without you know if there is another deer and they're spooking it and kind of ruining my hunt once i once i figure out the bedding situation the next thing that I do is I go right to destination food source. I have to find it. Is it a private ag field? Is it a big white oak flat? What's drawing those deer at the end of the night? Like, where are they trying to end up? And then from that point, I'll start working my way back towards the bed again. So, I'll, you know, what rub lines do I have? What uh, terrain features do I have a specific, you know, a trail above a hog's back or a log jump? Do I have a saddle he's got to cross through? I'll try to track back any terrain features. And then the biggest thing that I'm looking for as well is uh, community hub scrape. So a lot of the areas that I'm scouting, I'm I'm not really hunting a whole lot of areas that only hold one mature buck. You know, I'm trying to up my odds. I'm trying to be as efficient as possible in season. So I'm, I'm tearing through all this land. I'm trying to find areas that have multiple bucks. And when you find areas that have multiple bucks, you'll, you'll almost always have a big community scrape. The reason for that is, especially in hill country, these deer are bedded on different ridges, right? Like they're on the, say you have a ridge that runs north to south and you have a bunch of points that jut out to the east. Say that, you know, three out of five of those ridge points have a mature buck on them. Well, when they dump down into that bottom at night to go to the destination food source, they want to check up on each other. You know, it's a competition for them as well. So they'll have a big community hub scrape. It'll have a big licking branch. It'll be dug into the ground where it's been used for years. And that is like the best place to put a camera and one of the best places to hunt. If it's within 100 yards, I'll hunt that hub scrape early season. And if it's a little bit beyond 100 yards, the end of October, that will have a mature buck on it in daylight. I guarantee it every time. So that's that's kind of my strategy. Right. So I guess I have a couple questions there. Now, for people that don't know, how do you decipher a buck bed and like a doe bed? Like you said, you, you search obviously for, for a certain buck bed and you look for the hair. You you kind of sit in it and look around, kind of look kind of like what he looks at. And then you also look for doe bedding. Now, how do you 
you know, decipher between the two on if it's a, a big buck bed and like a doe bedding area? So doe beds are, are generally going to be clustered. You know, you have a cluster of beds and they won't really make sense. So, it, and I'll, I'll go more into that with the buck bed side of things and it'll make more sense. But they've, to me in my head, when I find a group of doe beds, I'm like, why the heck are they bedded here? Like, you know, I could, I could see them here or they wouldn't be able to smell me or all these different things. And the reason that they bed like that together is a doe is leaning on the other does of the group to, they kind of all protect each other. If that makes sense, you know, like they'll bed in a circle and they'll look in different directions. A, a, A big mature buck is solitary. So he only has himself to watch out for himself. So, you know, he might have does that he can hear bump and stuff, but all that buck cares about is himself. He doesn't care about anything else. Yep. And so he wants to set himself up so he can control everything that's going on. Generally, it's going to be in cover. It's going to have an elevation advantage. It's going to have a good route for him to escape. It's going to have some sort of either back or front cover. I've seen it both, but the best beds are cover on both sides. Say he has a you know, a fallen tree behind him and he's got a big oak in front of him. He'll lay right in the middle of those and he's safe. Uh, it's always going to be wind-based. The The biggest thing for buck beds that I've found, I've yet to find a buck bed that wasn't some sort of wind-based. And it's not always prevailing wind. Sometimes it's just based off a thermal pole as well. But nine times, the, the, the beds that I'm targeting are prevailing wind beds. So you know, you'll have a ridge that runs north to south like we were talking about, and then picture these little, like, sub-ridges that jut out to the east. On the top of those ridges, you'll see the contour lines right before they drop off get real tight, and it'll be like a military crest. He'll bet above that crest. So with uh, for Ohio, we have a prevailing west wind or a southwest wind nine times out of ten. The ridges that I'm checking are, are ridges that the wind would blow down those ridges from the main ridge to the end and kind of dump off, you know, like leeward side. And he's bedded there because he can smell anything getting blown down that ridge behind him. He's got a sight advantage in front of him. You know, a lot of times he can see down the ridge in front of him. And then he's also got a thermal pole coming up. So as the sun hits the forest floor, your thermals start to rise and he can smell from both directions and see and he has cover. Yep. And those are the most, those are the beds that I'm targeting. You know, I'm trying to find that specific bed where it's like, there's no doubt that that's a big buck. A lot of times what I'm looking for as well, you know, I'll find sheds right in their beds. You'll find one of the best things you can find is rubs, but they don't rely on finding a rub in a bed because saplings aren't always nearby. But obviously if you find a rub in the bed, like we did yesterday, you're like, yeah, this sets up for wind. It's got the rub in the bed. It's perfect big tracks are a big part of that if you find big tracks and uh if you find hair from over the years you know like this bed say like the leaves underneath it are crunched up or even gone you you know that that buck is there a lot and that's that's the most important bets to find so what i get from that is the more mature buck that it is the the more basically everything he has in his favor to bet in that certain spot like he basically has to have everything in line for him to bet in that spot and that's pretty much going to tell you like that's more of a mature deer than say like a two or three year old where there might be a a few things that come in into place for him to bed there but when it's a mature deer he basically has to have everything in order for him to bed there yes and it's you know if you look at a map and all the things i just mentioned 
if it's if if it sets up like that and that's the only one that sets up like that that buck the, the most mature buck is going to have the best bed you know maybe every once in a while not but the, the majority of the time the biggest buck it's like the king's seat you know it's like this is my bed and you know when he gets killed off you'll see other deer move in on that yeah and then it'll it'll kind of just it's like a evolution basically but that's what i've seen anyways the most mature buck the biggest most dominant buck has that the, the primary bed yep so my other question was so you're hunting a spot that you know it has a couple mature deer in it you know you're not hunting a spot that has maybe one one mature deer and you, you know you want to up your odds obviously and you know in some areas you know around that people are hunting you, they might only have one good deer but how are you you know how are you locating these bucks like is, is it just is it just um you basically you're running cameras or do you know from past history of hunting that certain area like okay well this buck made it through i found his sheds this buck made it through i had him on camera are you pretty much just running cameras in there on those you know, maybe those uh, community scrapes and those bedding areas and then finding these bucks. Okay, well, there's there's two bucks here, there's three bucks here kind of thing. Like, is, what are you doing to, to kind of locate, you know, bucks that you're definitely going to target? Yeah, so you, all of these spots that I'm cyber scouting from on a map, I can pick out an area that's leeward facing, has multiple ridge structures that kind of jut out and then has like a hub and has a very obvious destination food source. If it doesn't have pressure, there's multiple there's multiple mature bucks in there, plain and simple. Right. There's, I, and then it's just a matter of for me, what you know class are those bucks? You know, there there's no doubt there's going to be three, four, five, six year old bucks in a lot of these. If they don't, if it doesn't have pressure, they're not getting ran out of there. They're not getting killed. They're going to be there. And it's just a matter of running cameras on those hub scrapes that we talked about. Yep and really glassing that that's my two biggest things i find a lot of them glassing the the hands down number one way that i find these big bucks though is you know like like i said i know the area i know they're going to be there it's running cameras on those hub scrapes and that'll tell you everything that you need to know i mean i on my hub scrapes that i find if it's the right hub scrape that gets my attention out of all the ones i find you know thousands of scrapes if it's the right one it'll have every mature buck on it basically throughout summer and into the fall yep at yep. least at least into the first couple weeks of season then things get a little squirrely and that's why it's so important to be efficient as quickly as possible is to catch them at the end of that pattern really good information now mike another question i guess really quick before we get into some wind and thermals and things like that um are you running cameras right now like when is your time to get cameras out and and if you are running them now, where are you running them? And then, you know, if what time, I guess, is best to run them on a community scrape for people that don't maybe not run much cameras or don't really know where to run their cameras right now or into late summer? Yeah, so if you find, you know, a community scrape is a lot different than a regular scrape. It's going to have a really defined licking branch that you can tell has been used for years. It'll be all twisted up and knotted up. It'll be dug into the ground, and it'll make sense where it's at. You know, if you look at it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, I can see all these deer pouring off this ridge or coming off these islands and hitting this scrape. You're in the right spot. If it's a field edge scrape, 
you're wasting your time until the end of October, if you ask me. Agreed. But yep. If, if if it's the right scrape, right now is is perfect timing. I mean, so when I put those cameras out my first year in Ohio, I put them on hub scrapes that I found. We'll say early June to mid June. I checked those cameras because I was really anxious. Uh, you know, last week of June and first week of July. I had one hub scrape on public land that had 14 different bucks hitting that scrape. Wow. It was insane. And I, I, I see the same thing everywhere I go. No matter where I'm at, if I find the, the hub scrape, the community scrape, it's going to have multiple bucks on it all year long. I mean, I'm talking like every month out of the year, I get deer on camera on these scrapes. Now, I'll pull them out of the woods for a while and put them back in. Like, we're basically right now, the month of June for me, is getting these cameras back where they need to be on these scrapes on some travel routes and uh really trying to just find the class bucks i want to find and the reason that i pick right now is by you know at least in ohio and new york it was the same way in new york for me by you know first week second week of july of 170 inch deer is you know 140 150 inches already he's already a big buck like there's no doubt in your mind you know, he'll be balled up on the end of his tines and on the end of his main beams. And there's no doubt what, what class that deer is at that point. And, you know, if I, if I get him all year in that same spot, I can start really factoring in a lot of things. I can say, okay, you know, I got like last year, I had this 175 inch typical on camera four or five nights a week, right at dark, like right at gray light, hitting this community scrape, dropping off a ridge. And when I really started getting into it on like Wonderground, what I noticed was every southwest wind and west wind, he's there because he's bedded up on that ridge. But if we get like a north or we get an east or some different winds, he wouldn't be there. And it it makes perfect sense, right? You know, he's bedded up on that ridge system for that wind, so he has his advantage. So you can really fine tune where these bucks are bedded. You know, like you can say, okay, there's no doubt he's coming off that point because he's only here when that wind sets up for that point. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Yeah, and it gets me fired up talking about it because I know right now I'm running some cameras on some community scrapes, some mock scrapes and stuff, and I'm fired up to go check them, but they've only been out for like a week or week and a half. It's like I got to let them go for another few weeks here. But, but um, at, you know, my, my tactics over the years, like last year me and my buddy Andrew were running a couple cameras on, you know, this – it was this kind of like oak flat. Well, I guess it was only some red oaks. There there might have been, I can't remember if there was a, a white oak or not in, in there, but there was a huge community scrape, and we probably had eight or nine different bucks hitting it, along with that 12-point. Um, but my tactics usually are, you know, those community scrapes early in the summer, and then once you find, like, a good deer to hunt, sometimes, you know, I might keep my camera there, and then I might move some cameras back on some trails or closer to the bedding to kind of to kind of figure out where he's coming from. Do you usually do that as well? So I, I really like that tactic. That uh, that's awesome. The only thing that I do different, for the most part, you know, my first year down here was different because I was really really anxious. But generally, what you know, I've been doing it for a really long time. I mean, since I was really young, and hill country's really evolved for me, and I'm so confident in the spots that I'm putting these cameras now that I put them out in June and I won't go check a single camera until the first or second week of September. 
Wow. You know, I'll check I'll check all my cameras at the exact same time and because I know the bucks are there. I know they're going to be there. And I I know that sounds cocky too. It probably sounds extremely cocky, but it's just a confidence thing I build up over time. And then I'll take the intel that I have in September and you know, I've got like two weeks to really dive into that intel and come up with my master plan for the first couple of days of the season. I don't really think I don't really think it sounds cocky. I just think like you said, it's confidence. Like Again, we were talking at the road show over the weekend, and you basically were telling a couple of us they're standing like, if you're not confident in the spot you're in, then why the heck are you there? Like, you know what I mean? Why are you going in there and wasting your time if you're not going in there while you're walking in and your confidence is 100%? Like, I'm going in there and I'm going to kill this buck. Like, like I, I, I know I definitely didn't have confidence in, in going for that 12-point a couple times. Last year, I hunted them all year, and that's probably something I won't do again is hunting one deer on public, especially in PA. But anyway, like, it's a confidence thing, though. Like, it's not really a cocky thing. I think it's just you know where the deer are at. You know what deer are in there. Now it's just, like, having the confidence to go in there and be like, you know what? There's a couple deer in here, and I'm I'm going to kill one of them kind of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, ex- exactly. And, you know, for anybody listening, that's that's the most important factor. If you look at the guys that are really getting it done, you know, look at Cody, look at like a Andy May or Dan Infall or, uh, you know, any of these guys, Greg Litzinger. If you, Johnny Stewart, I could go on for, for days about like my idols of bow hunting that are just absolute killers. Hollingsworth. If you talk to any of those, yes. If you talk to any of those guys, they are so confident and it's, you know, 99% of the time, they're like, I'm going to kill that deer. And I'm the same way. You know, I might say that I hunt, you know, 20 times and I fail 19 times. Every single time that I went in there, I was still in my head. I know exactly where that buck's bedded. I know exactly what he's on, feeding on. I know exactly when he's going to get up and walk down that ridge with a perfect wind. I'm going to have just off thermals and I'm going to stick that deer at 15 yards. And why the reason that I do that, the reason, you know, even though I'm wrong at the reason I do that is because every time I'm walking in, I'm paying attention. Yep. You know, I'm like, okay, there's this scrape that's different. Maybe I'll hunt this tonight because it's, you know, it's, it's on fire right now. Like, why would I not hunt that scrape? Or, you know, say that you find some like half-ass sign. It's not a really good sign. If you're not confident, you might be like, oh, I'm going to set up on this. I don't think I'm going to, you know, I might not see him, but at least, you know, there's some sign. If you're confident, no, I'm going to go find the best sign in here. I'm going to go find that deer and, and figure out a way to kill him tonight. And really two options at that point. Either you kill him or you fail, you bump him, you know, he smells you or whatever happens, but you're going to learn so much more than sitting back and being out of the game. Yep. And that's the, that's the important thing about being that aggressive too. You know, my aggressive style has just helped me learn so much in a short amount of time because I'm, I'm, I'm in the game every single time I'm out there. And the only way that I'm not in the game is if I screw it up. Yep. You have to be a little cocky about it. Like you have to be confident, but a little cocky because if you're not and you hunted like, I mean, I'll say if you hunted like I did last year and you kind of waited back and you know, well, there's a there's a community scrape here. There's a trail that leads down to here. There's there's some oaks that are here. Well, I wasn't close enough to them. I wasn't in the game, and I honestly, ninety percent of the time, I wasn't confident. And you're saying you need to be confident ninety percent of the time, or actually, well. You need to be confident 100% of the time, but you you fail 90% of the time is what I'm saying. And even yep. if you're even if you're successful 10% of the time, that's all you need to kill them. 
You know what I mean? So good, good point there. That that's for sure. Like, you know, people listen to this, like it's all about confidence. And really, if, if you're not confident, then you're not really going to be in the game. And more than likely, you're not going to kill one or kill the deer you're hunting. So exactly. So, so looking at that now, one, a question I have for you, like looking back on one of your sits last year where you were not confident, you're in that spot. This might be a good learning lesson for everybody. What would you change, you know, with the mentality that you have right now after this whole year and talking to all these guys and stuff like that, like what would your approach be on one of those non-confident days? What, what would you do different? Push in deeper. Probably. Perfect like, like, okay, perfect. And you're... Let me, let me hit on that real quick because a lot of the times, you know, on this public that I was hunting, it was like 40 acres and then it butted up to game lands and then there was that posted and then it that butted up to a buddy's property that I had permission to hunt which I really didn't want to intrude on there because it was him and his his dad that was hunting it so and they knew about the buck too and you know I was hoping one of us was going to get him but for me it was just I told myself like I'm going to kill this buck on public because you know the craze is public I've never shot a deer not on public all the bucks that I've shot have been on public ground. So I kind of, that's kind of being cocky right there. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to kill this buck on public. So what I was doing was going in that spot and hunting off, hunting off the sign that I knew was there, but not the freshest sign. So that, that was my, that was my thing I was hinting to or, or telling you about was I should have pushed in farther as close as I really could have to that posted property where he bedded obviously not with not getting as close you know to where it's illegal kind of thing but getting as close as I could to that posted property because that's where I knew he was bedded and I wasn't doing that and then obviously towards the end of the year that's how he got killed was he was obviously probably on a doe or something and that that Amish guy was probably up close to that posted property and that's where he shot him different story but I guess that's what it comes down to is my confidence was, well, he might come by this spot where I've seen him in the past. Cause we ended up seeing, I only saw him once last year, had him on camera a lot. I didn't hunt him early season, which was kind of dumb. Um, I kind of just, again, my tactic was, well, he'll come through eventually and, you know, started hunting him kind of hard in there to towards the end of October and, and had an encounter with him holiday morning. It was Halloween. It was like nine 30 in the morning. And, uh, you know, after that, I never saw him again, which the rut was kind of rough this year, but I waited and, you know, it gets me fired up talking to you because that's not what you're about. You're about pushing in and I should have pushed in and I I think I would have learned from, from it, even if I pushed him or, you know, say I was pushing in and, you know, I, I didn't set up on him and he was 50 yards from me or whatever. At least I can see where he came out of that trail and then I could have gotten closer to him, but I wasn't even in the game being, you know, 150 yards from or, or whatever. So. Yeah. One, 100%. That's perfect. And you know, the only other takeaway that I have from that, that's, you know, my style, and this is all going to be personal preference. You know, you can hunt one deer all year if you need to, if it's a giant, if it's, you know, if it, if that's what you want to do, 100% go for it. Tactics are going to be a little bit different probably, but for my style, the you know it almost sounds like there's a lot of days that deer wasn't necessarily killable because you couldn't hunt where he was yeah definitely 
a hundred percent for sure. No, no doubt. And, yeah. And, and then, you know, the mentality that I have, it's like, well, I'm really going to go find a deer that I can kill because I can, I can hunt there as well. And that's, you know, flirting with the public private boundaries. Sometimes you run into that and it's like, man, I just, he, he, he's a giant, but if I can't kill him, I'm wasting my damn time. I mean, I, yep. I need to go kill a buck. That's what I should have done because really to make a long story short, I had this other buck that I was hunting for. I, I still don't think he got killed. I hope not. He has like probably eight inch brow tines on him. He's a really good deer. He's in the one thirties. Last year he was a nine point the year before he was an eight point. Um, he put on, you know, probably 15, 20 inches, but you know, I, I literally knew exactly where he bedded. I set up two cameras back on these islands and he would J hook right into the beds and come out sometimes with a smaller buck but I he was going in in the morning and he was coming out in the evening on either one of my cameras so I I had him on one of my cameras almost every single morning or every single night and I never hunted that deer one time I hunted him obviously never saw him but I hunted that spot one time and saw two bucks and a doe that morning I guess it was but I should have went in there and went for that buck because like you said that was more more killable buck like i knew exactly where he was bedding jay hooking right into that that bedding area that that island that he was bedding on and then he would either come out on one of my cameras or go in and uh you know i kick myself for for not doing that because 130 something inch deer on on that area you know that was basically the same area where i shot my other big one but i should have went for him and i'm running cameras there again right now but um, you know, I, I learned from it, you know, like you a really good point that I'm going to stick with is if you, he might be a giant, like that 12 point that I was hunting, but if he's not killable, then move the heck on. And I'll never do that. I don't think I'll ever do that again, where I hunt one deer specifically, you know, I'll, I'm going to try to have a couple on my hit list if I do, but if he, if that one's not killable, then just move on to the next one. Like, for example, that's what you did when you shot that big that big buck in Ohio the first year that you were there. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had a lot of deer that were really close to that class on camera, and it was a matter of finding the most killable buck. And I, you know, it's easy to sit here and preach that, but last year I fell into that trap too. You know, I had a deer that was 10 to 15 inches bigger than anything else that I had, and so I chased them around quite a bit. And I was, I had a lot of close encounters. This was one where I was never, I was never not aggressive i was always almost overly aggressive and he was just like a step ahead of me every time and you know i got in a november situation before i killed my 140 class buck last year you know it was so so i can sit here and preach it the right way but you know you get these things in your head sometime and that's the cool thing about bow hunting man is it evolves you know yep. like it's, exactly. it's constantly evolving you know i start out my season with I'm, I'm killing a 170 that's that's my goal and then as season goes on you know if it doesn't happen you start to lower that and lower that and lower that but the important thing you know if you followed me at like on instagram last year and watched my stories every day i went in i was same exact way confident you know mentally being strong i'm ready to kill this deer yep. and the, if you watch the youtube video on that buck last year even walking in i found his tracks in the scrape i was like he's dead i was this just gonna say that dead. yep i was just gonna he, say that i've watched your stuff but i watched it again this year i've watched it a few times but i remember halfway you know halfway through that video you bent down and you saw the track and that scrape and you're you looked into the camera you're like this buck's dead tonight and that's what you did you killed him that night so that's that's a whole confidence thing and 
you know, that was pretty awesome to do that. Um, but yeah, you just got to be confident and kill the buck or go for the buck that's killable. So really good point, dude. Like that's a, that's an awesome point to bring up. I'm glad you, glad you brought that up for, for us and for the listeners too, because you know, if you got a deer guys preach it all the time, I hear guys at work and I hear guys around that I, you know, that I see and that I talk to, Oh, I got this 150 on camera. I got this buck. It's like, okay. And then, then they never see him during the season. And it's like, well, it's either their tactics were wrong or, I mean, every deer is killable. That's the thing, but there's deer that are more killable than the other deer, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And there's areas that just are going to give you greater success with having multiple bucks. That's just, just really try to, you know, maintain that confidence, be strong-willed, figure it out and find the right areas, really fine tune your scouting. And that's, you know, all of us really I, I scout you know probably between e-scouting and actual boots on the ground i'm probably scouting 330 to 340 days a year there's yeah. not many days that i'm not opening up at least onyx and looking yep. yep so it's scouting is so important to this whole thing if you really want to take it to the next level be efficient and really track down these big bucks and kill them scout 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 all the time 100 percent, no doubt um so awesome points there really really awesome points so the next thing that i want to get in really quick here you know it doesn't have to be anything super in depth but for for guys that really don't know how to um you know go about wind and thermals especially you know hill country but we'll we'll talk about just you know basic stuff um i know when i first you know first started really checking the wind a few years back like I actually thought say the wind say you got a west wind I actually thought that meant like the wind was blowing towards the west like coming out of the east blowing towards the west if that makes sense so after I obviously used to do the exact yeah yeah sorry about I used to do the exact same thing you can keep going yeah so <laughs> I'm glad you did too that kind of makes me feel better but um, yeah, you know, we're, we're young in our hunting career or whatever, and we're, we're trying to figure this out. Like, so obviously after doing a lot of research and stuff like that, like describe what, what you do about going about not even just hill country, but just scouting. Like I know when I get on my phone and I find, I find areas and then I, you know, I'm out scouting and I, I mark buck beds and I mark scrapes and I mark stand spots or whatever. I'm obviously taking wind into account, you know, wind direction and stuff like that. And I'll write stuff down in a notebook or on my phone, like, hey, I need a southwest wind for if a deer comes out of this bed, you know. But let's just talk about basic wind fundamentals and thermals, and then we can kind of get into some deeper stuff, you know, after some basic stuff. Yeah, 100%. So mature bucks, from what I've seen, 99.9 percent of the time they're they're wind based so you know in hill country like we talked about earlier a westerly wind means the west is traveling from west to east and the bucks will bet on the east side of these ridges on the eastern facing points you know northern facing points they're, they're going to be bedded on a ridge that has the wind blowing down it and to at least some extent a lot of times they'll be like just off as well you know like if it's a north facing ridge 
but it's got an eastern side to that ridge. They will bet on the side of that eastern facing ridge still. So they're they're what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish is have the wind at their back so they can smell anything behind them, whether it's swamps, hills, it doesn't matter. And they either want to have some sort of sight or hearing or some sort of, you know, elevation advantage in front of them. A lot of times, like if you get in hill country, they can actually smell the thermals like we kind of talked about earlier. But so the way I break it down is like in hill country, I don't even look at the windward ridges. So when the windward side is a side, you know, a westerly side, if we have a western wind, the wind is blowing into that ridge. Do they bet over there if it's the right conditions? I'm sure they do. But we get back to, you know, if I have a checklist of 10 things that I want, I'm not even looking at spots like that because it doesn't meet the criteria that I need to have my best odds on a big buck. So I eliminate the windward side of all ridges. So right away, half the public land in your state for me is junk. I don't even, I don't even look at it. I don't care. I'm looking at the leeward side and then I'll obviously fine tune it based on how good of a wind advantage he has, how good of a thermal advantage he has and then how I can beat him in that specific location as well. With swamps and marshes, it sets up basically the same way. So if you have a transition line, you know, like for me, what I'm really looking at is if I have a, let's say a marsh runs north and south, right? So let's say it's 500 yards wide and it's two miles long north to south. I'm really focused on the west side of that marsh because the wind is blowing from the west out of the hardwoods and it's blowing out into that swamp. So generally what he's going to do is he's going to cross that transition line into the swamp and he's going to walk a certain amount and bed under whether it's the tip of an island or a, you know, a pine tree that's got a high spot, whatever, you know, a lump of cattails. He's going to bed looking out into that swamp from what I've seen with the wind at his back. Do they do it on the other side as well on the, you know, the eastern side? I'm sure they do. But to me, I'm trying to stack the odds at this point. Yep. And that's, that's the most important thing. Gotcha. So breaking it down, um, you know, obviously if you have, like when I was running my cameras last year, I, you know, that with that one buck in that, in that marsh, that swamp, I put two cameras out on the two main trails that led into the one island part where I know he would J-hook and then, you know, bed on a certain wind. And he was only coming out on the one camera on a southwest wind because it was blowing diagonal right into his, you know, right into his nose. And then obviously he would probably, you know, take the trail to wherever he was going from there. Like there was a crop field a couple hundred yards from there that was, I think it was beans last year. Um, So obviously he wouldn't do that till dark. But and the other trail, he would... I can't remember if he if he walked it on like a a northwest wind or what it was but but anyway like that's what I was doing last year was you know I was running those cameras and I was figuring out what he was what trail and what um exit trail he was using um you know in the evening on that certain wind and that's the thing like to you know for the guys that aren't are just kind of getting in, into the wind and thermals thing like obviously do your research but you know with 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 how long you you've been uh you know on the scouting game and and on the 
you know, like upped your game with the wind and thermals and stuff like that. Like it takes a while. Let me tell you that right now. It takes a while to figure that out. Like I know my brother just really started in, to get into it last year and he learned like a buttload of information. Just You just got to really be out there just doing it. Like he had some stationary stands set up down in Texas is where he hunts. Um, but, you know, he learned a lot just from hunting those spots and deer catching wind and his wind and stuff like that. And then him having, ha having to shift his stands and stuff like that. So that's what it comes down to as well. Like you can do as much scouting on your phone and with your trail cameras and stuff like that. But like when it comes to just putting boots on the ground and then hunting it, like I'm sure for you in hill country, like do you get a lot of swirling winds and stuff like that hunting hill country or... I, I, I do, but I've, I've learned how to kind of combat those. And so really? a couple, yeah, a couple things that I do in hill country, you know, I'm, I'm a freak about everything that goes into like the, every aspect of killing that buck I want to have perfect. I want to know everything I need to know. I really don't want to make a mistake, even though I do all the time. But so I'll go as far as to all of my really good spots. I'll go in in the spring without leaves and I'll go in in the summer with leaves and I'll wind map all these spots because you never the thing about thermals and wind and hill country is you can't really look at a map and determine what it's going to do because you know the leaves will affect something versus not having leaves on trees or like the steepness of the ridges will have a huge effect on thermals each it, it's like it's like water going through a stream you know like if you throw a rock in that water it's going to act a little bit different if you throw a different size rock in there it's going to act even more different if you put moss on the rock it's going to act different so I wind map a lot of spots and I'll go in, you know, to like, let's say an Eastern facing Ridge and I'll go in on a, let's say a 55 degree day and a 70 degree day and see what the difference is in my thermal pole. You know, I'll go in when there's a five mile an hour wind and I'll go in when there's a 25 mile an hour wind and see the effect on the swirling winds that it has. And when you really start to figure that out, like there's a lot of spots that I have that I'll hunt not only on wind direction, but wind velocity as well. I have a spot that has a booner in it. The last two years, there's been a booner in there that I could chase. But if I go in there and hunt the hub, you know, it's a, it's a ridge that runs north-south, and then there's points that jut out to the east. If I have a westerly wind, I can hunt the hub in the bottom of that because the wind will blow directly down the creek and blow my scent out before it has a chance to rise up those hills. But if the wind velocity gets too high around like 18 to 20 miles an hour plus, it actually blows over that ridge and creates a vacuum and sucks all of that scent right back up to the top of that ridge. And, and so there's all these, you know, you're talking about vacuums and currents and uh, I've got some spots that have a north, let's say, you know, I have two spots that have a north ridge and one's a lot steeper than the other. On a north ridge, if it's steep enough, you won't get any thermal pull because the sunlight never hits that ridge to allow those thermals to, to rise. So it's, you know, you can figure out so much, but you can never, you, you really have to go in and do your due diligence with every aspect of it if you want to get it perfect. Yeah, you just got to go out there and, and hunt it, like you said. And, well, not even just hunt it, but like you said, like get out there, go on there and, and scout it and put boots on the ground and, get out there on different wind direction different different weather basically you know when you have wind that's 25 miles an hour or five miles an hour and it's 70 degrees you know and 55 degrees kind of thing like change it up and just get out there and and scout really i know uh 
last year I kind of figured out like I I was hunting you know I was hunting certain spots for good wins for that deer not not specifically good wins for for you as a hunter but good wins for that deer like we had a southwest win the, the night that you know I went in and filmed my buddy Andrew shoot a pretty good buck on public last year and you know he was coming down and hitting a scrape and we knew that from the trail cam pictures and we had a southwest wind and you know i had a couple i had i had a buddy and his dad tell me well you can't hunt that spot on a southwest wind and i was like okay well well i'm gonna go hunt it on a south, southwest wind so the third day of the season i think it was i think it was the sixth so a third or fourth day of the season we went in there and, and hung a set and uh you know like i said southwest wind it was blowing basically to that scrape but it was good for that buck because he was bedded up on top and he came straight down down the hill and right into the oaks and i probably he, he shot him at 20 yards if that deer would have took about two or three more steps he probably would have caught our wind and i know um you know we were throwing milkweed and our wind was kind of doing its own thing but he did we did see him like pop his nose up and, and try to catch a whiff of us at one point but yeah, he ended up arrowing that deer at like 20 yards, but we were hunting that spot for a win that was good for that certain deer, not really good win for for us, really, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? 100%, and that's where, you know, hunting like a just-off wind or cheating the wind, you know, the majority of bucks that I've killed in hill country were two or three steps from smelling me. Yep. You know, their, their destination, I was just off wind. And you, that you can't just base that on the wind direction like we were talking about. You know, like if you have a west wind, but you have a thermal pole, if you're on the north side of that ridge, you know, your, your wind is going to be pushing west, but it's also going to be pulling up that ridge just a little bit. And so you got to be careful about that pole, but you can also cheat bucks by that exact same thing. You know, if you're further up a ridge with a west wind, you know he's bedded like off the point, you might be able to beat him by you know 10 or 15 feet because your wind is blowing right to him to the west but then it gets pulled up that ridge just enough to where it doesn't it, he doesn't smell it does that you know you can you can learn to cheat it in hill country a lot and you can do it with with uh bottomlands as well you know like a cool stream at night will suck the thermals down yeah so yeah. Or, or still water you know like if if you're by really cool water you can actually regardless you know if you have like a under a five mile an hour wind it could be the total wrong direction, but your thermals will pull down. And on the flip side of that, if you've got water that's substantially warmer than the air, you know, like say that you're set up to the, you're on the south end of a pond, right? And the pond's really warm compared to the air and you have a north wind. Well, or you have actually, it would be a south wind. So you have a south wind. So that wind's blowing like, you know, basically from south to north. It hits you, and then as your scent hits that pond because it's hot, it's going to shoot straight up. Yeah, right, exactly. So there's there's all these different things that you can you can learn and kind of play off with thermals, and it's one of the most interesting aspects of it because it seems like these big bucks have the thermals figured out so well and all these wind currents, and they just get in these little nooks and spots that are perfect, and you have to try to like it's like the ultimate chess match it gets me so fired up because you have to try to figure out how to beat him at something that he's perfect at right it's incredible these these deer are just so incredible especially when they start getting five six seven years old it's 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 incredible what they what they 
go about their day doing. But I mean, really, obviously, a deer is just trying to survive, and we're out there, another predator trying to hunt them. But we're trying to. That's why playing playing chess with them is so much fun because there's so much that goes into it, especially if you're into it hardcore like like we are. So. Yeah, and if you really want to be consistent, you know, best anybody can yep. come down to Ohio or go out to Iowa and sit in the right funnel the right time of year and kill a buck. They can kill a, a giant buck doing that, but to consistently kill mature bucks efficiently, you got to have everything perfect. Yep, and that's my goal, and and again, it gets me fired up talking about it because I've always been taught, you know, I, I was growing up with rifle hunting here in PA, kind of tradition thing, and then me and my brother got got ourselves into archery hunting and kind of taught our own our own ways and whatnot figured it out for ourselves. but last few years I've really got into it with the mobile game and and whatnot and figuring wind and thermals out and it's incredible to to figure it out just being out there and doing it and that's why it's so much fun because you know you take that next step and you learn something every time you're out and that's that's why it's so much fun and and then when it all comes together, but I, I'm just, I'm fired up about early season this year because I'm really going to push in. And like you said, if you, if you end up bumping them or whatever, you learn something from it. And I remember a quote from, from the, one of the guys we were talking to, we, we were standing there talking to you and he, he walked over. This was last week. And I don't know if you remember, but he said, if you don't take a chance on that certain deer and you sit back and wait for him, you're not going to kill him anyway, so you might as well go, you know, try to kill him, push in, and if you push him and bump him, you're not going to kill him anyway. So it kind of went both ways, and it kind of like blew my mind when he said that. Do you remember when that guy came over there and said that to us that uh, over the weekend? Oh yeah, and it was yeah, it was kind of like the light bulb moment thing. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, it's, it's yep, that's perfect. It was pretty cool. So last couple things here I have. So we touched on wind and thermals and locating bucks and early season tactics. Um, one big thing that you touched on over the weekend is obviously the confidence thing, but as it gets later into the season, you know, say it's late October, which is my favorite time actually, but, um, and you know, get, starting to get into the rut and maybe even after like the good part of the rut there, like first, second week, especially in Ohio, you know, it's getting, you guys can hunt all the way till February here in PA it stops you know second second week of November is when it stops but when you're getting late into the season like and your confidence is kind of going down and you're second guessing yourself how do you keep yourself motivated and like staying positive and stuff like that so it's something that I really think that you have to have like deeply ingrained inside of you it has you have to have that just mental strength and there's, there's ways to build that strength up if you don't have it. You know, there's there's ways to push the limits outside of hunting with, you know, physically and mentally that are going to help you prepare for it. You know, for me, like a big thing is fitness. And I, do, do you have to be fit and in shape to kill big bucks? Absolutely not. But the thing that it gives me is, you know, all year long I'm pushing myself, whether it's cardio, whatever it is, right to the limit, right to the breaking point. And so to me, you know, going out in the woods and, and pushing it, you know, physically, mentally, all the exhaustion we face, it's, it's a regular day, you know, it's just another day at the park. And so that, that aspect of it really isn't too hard for me. The, the other thing too, is, you know, keeping it fresh. If, if I had one spot and I was hunting one deer and just getting my butt kicked by that deer over and over and over, and I couldn't figure them out, your confidence is going to start to go down. But if you have more areas, more deer to hunt, 
you're it's fresh you know what i mean you're like ah oh, well this yeah. dude got me tomorrow i'm gonna go and do this and that also helps with the aggression side of things where you can be a lot more aggressive when you have multiple opportunities so that's that's an important thing but yeah i would the, the biggest thing is being able to build up kind of that fortitude whether it's you know mentally physically and then obviously keeping it fresh keeping things moving you know bouncing around staying mobile is definitely something that helps keep that high spirit because you can bounce you know like oh i saw a deer i saw a good buck come off that ridge yesterday i'm gonna go over to that ridge tonight and it's you start playing the game that's fun you know if you're sitting in a ladder stand on a field edge or in a funnel 20 days in a row oh my gosh oh I just, yeah so so style you know that mental strength all those things are really important to do in that and then there becomes a point when it really is grit you have to get yourself up out of bed you're like i get your ass up get out there and go kill that buck you know there's it's not always going to be easy and that's where you really just have to have something deep within you that that drives you to do it and you have to really fall in love with not only the process but the failures as well yep really good points for sure i know um I coach the wrestling team here where I'm at here and uh, it's all about motivation there too. Like I, I was started wrestling when I was five years old and I've always had that drive to push myself to make weight and to, you know, that wrestling mentality, um, you know, the, the physical mentality, like still going to the gym. And like you said, you don't have to be, you know, in perfect shape to kill a big deer. That's not, that's not what we're talking about, but it's about just pushing yourself, you know, physically and getting over that hump maybe when you might be down in the woods and it's like okay well if you already if you're already you know motivated enough and you've been through um heartache in the past like you can push through that like you said like get your butt out of bed and just go kill this deer because you're gonna do it kind of thing where if you don't have that mentality you might just be like well it's it might be better to sleep in today kind of thing but yeah, stay staying positive and motivated is is uh, is a huge thing with being successful for sure. So. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And and sometimes you plain and simple gotta hype yourself up. You know, like. Oh I'm no doubt, dude. Dude, I, I, I'm a I'm a stone cold killer. I'm going to kill this buck. <laughs> no doubt. And I there's sometimes there, in the like, in seasons past. I don't think I did. I don't think I did it last year because I kind of was down and whatnot. But. Dude, I, I'll pump myself up, just da- jam out to like some metal and some rock music or something in the truck while, while I'm on my way there to, to the spot or whatever. Like you just got to get yourself in that right mindset. Like I know I when I do podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff like that, like I, I have to come down and kind of just take some deep breaths and get myself in the right mindset to do these kind of things. Because if I just go right into it and start doing it, like usually it's it's hectic and it doesn't work out. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, I yep. couldn't agree more. So, really quick, with that, I know you're running the Lone Wolf setup. If you want to touch on that, really quick, and then I got at the end, I got one question for you. Well, let's let me ask that question first because this could be the this could be the your answer here. So, um, one piece of gear that you couldn't live without. Obviously, it can't be your bow because you can't kill a deer without a bow unless you want to, I don't know, be weird about it or something. But one piece of gear that you couldn't live without. Let me hear what your answer is. I, I, I've been trying to figure out a good a good question, and then my buddy Andrew was like, ask him this. And I'm like, perfect. So 
I'll probably start asking this to everybody at the end, but yeah, one piece of gear that you couldn't live without. You know, it, it's probably different than than what you're expecting me to say, but for me, it's going to be a really solid harness setup, whether it's a saddle, whether it's rock climbing harness hmm. or just a standard harness. And the, the reason for that, you know, I can, if need be, I can kill a, a deer out of a saddle platform. I can kill them out of a tree stand. The tree stand is obviously huge. Like my DS5 is the best tree stand I'll ever have hands down. It's absolutely perfect for me. But the reason being is, you know, I'm getting so close to these deer that if I'm like old school and no harness, nothing like that, I don't have, if I don't have a lineman rope with a uh, mechanical ascender on it, I'm not going to be able to be as quiet and efficient in a close proximity to a bedded buck that I need to be. You know, a lot of, a lot of times it's taken me, I've killed deer where it takes me two and a half to three hours to climb a tree. And the reason for that is I'll hang a stick and I'll stand out, you know, I'm, I'm 60 yards from a 180 inch buck. I'll hang a stick and I'll stand there until I hear something that's going to cover the next stick noise. Whether it's wind, whether it's a jay sounding off, a squirrel chatter, anything. I'm trying to be as quiet as possible to get up that tree that close to a buck. Because all it's going to take is one weird sound. And not necessarily from your gear. It could be, you know, bark rubbing the wrong way. It could be anything. So having a good a good harness system, whether it's a saddle or whatever, you can lean back against the tree. You can have two hands to hang your sticks very quietly you can relax you know it's and then obviously the the factor of being up in the stand for me i can hunt both ways i can hunt saddle style or i can hunt out of a stand sitting down i can uh do a lot of different things and then the the comfort factor too you know whether you're six feet high or you're 26 feet high being tied in the right way is the best way to do it and you know on the flip side god forbid you're three miles deep with no cell service in some of these spots i go if I ever did fall, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not living anymore. So that's that's really important to me. And the, the safety aspect of all this is really important, especially getting into that grind, you know, repetitive things we're doing. Is, is, is that kind of different than you expected? Dude, <laughs> it blew my mind because that's literally the that 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 was going to be my answer, honestly. Like, it, it's funny. My 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 answer was already thought up in my head when I was at work today and you literally said exactly what I was going to say because that I think that's pretty crazy actually but I actually years ago when I would hunt out of it's it's kind of bad to say it but when I would hunt out of a climber when I was I don't know 15 16 years old back in high school I I didn't even wear a harness me neither and, and, same exact yeah and it's know. it's bad to say it and I I feel bad to say that like I mean, it feel, it makes me feel a little bit better that you didn't either, but like, that's that's why that piece, that one piece of gear is is so special to me because I don't know if special is the word, but you know what I mean. Like, it, it makes so much sense because it's all about that safety factor, and it's all about feeling, uh, you know, good up there in the stand. Even if you're ten feet up, like I, there was a couple times last year where I hunted. 10 feet off the ground five yeah the one day I even hunted I didn't even use a stick I hunted literally two feet off the ground and had a two and a half year old buck come in and obviously I didn't shoot him but um 
or you, you know you get up in a climber which i don't use climbers anymore but like the whole safety factor is huge and like you said it's all about being strapped in and, and being confident and being safe especially if you're that deep in the woods but that's incredible that we both were gonna that we both had the same answer that's that's crazy yeah it is and you know that's why i kind of preach like it's it's more than just a safety device because yep for for me the style of hunting i do it's if you're hanging from a tree i've done it trust me i forgot my harness i used to not wear one and it was the same thing if, if you're hanging from a tree trying to hang a stick and hang a stand there is no way that that is as quiet as i am going up a tree fully harnessed in with a lineman's rope being able to use two hands and being able to go as slow as i need to yep there's no way and the, the chances of making a mistake if i go through all this trouble of all the online scouting all the boots on the ground camera inventory you know hundreds of hours i locate the the biggest buck the most killable buck i have and i get all the way in there and i drop a freaking stick or clank something because i didn't have my harness on i made noise i i, I would be i i'd be disgusted yeah so you know or if i go out there and get hurt and i can't hunt the rest of the season and it sounds silly you know we're all we're hunters we're big bad you know but if if you're not being safe anybody can get hurt plain and simple and so that's that's really important to me yeah a really good point because i don't really care who you are like if if you talk to someone and they say oh i can hang and stand in five minutes without a line lineman's belt I call BS right there because you don't have two hands like that. That's another thing, obviously that goes with your harness or whatnot, but like having that lineman's belt and having two hands to hang sticks and hang a stand is incredible. Like it's, they all say it like, Oh, it's a game changer, but obviously it's been around for a while, but it was a game changer for me when I figured that out. Like when I started hunting mobile a few years back, like I wasn't using a lineman's belt. I was, you know, hung in a harness still up in the tree when I would finally get my tree stand set, but I never really had a nice harness that had a lineman's belt on it to attach. But when I figured that out with a lineman's belt and, you know, you can go two hands and hang a stand and hang some sticks, like that was a game changer for me. So that's why my piece of gear that I couldn't live without was the same as you. Like harness, obviously to stay safe, but a lineman's belt when you're hanging a stand and being quiet. And it's not all about oh, I can get a stand up in five minutes. Well, cool, good for you. Like you said, it t- sometimes it takes you an hour or whatever just, just because you want to be as quiet and efficient as you can because you have a buck bedded that close. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to go even a step further, I think I might have mentioned it, but the ascender, you know, I use a rope man, but that is, that's an absolute game changer too because now you're, you have a one-handed operation of tightening and loosening that lineman's belt as you go up the tree so you're not having to sit there and fiddle with your prusik slide it up the tree you know you're you're going you're it's it's so nice that's the other piece of equipment that's just great to have yeah and i know i saw you touch down that over the weekend and i ended up using my buddy andrews last year when i was hanging because when we would hunt together i would always be the one to hang because i'd bring my my lone wolf sticks cause they were lighter and then I'd hang the stands for us. And he'd always let me use his lineman's belt with the, the rope man on it. And oh my gosh, like when I discovered that last year, it was again, like it was just incredible. It was a game changer because I'd always be fiddling in years past with my, you know, Prusik knot, like you said, sliding up and up and down. And sometimes you have to take your hand off the stick to, cause it doesn't slide the right way. So you'd have to use both hands to move it. And it's just, 
you know so having that yes. rope, rope man it's just boom one little click you're up and down and you're moving your thing and you're good to go like it's it's pretty awesome so well cool man oh, i want to be uh conscious of the time here it's we're almost a, uh, an hour and 25 minutes into this is there anything else you wanted to touch on we i thought this was a pretty pretty awesome episode here we touched on a lot of stuff and hopefully people can use this to their advantage this year is there anything else you wanted to bring up dude i think that's it man honestly you know take this podcast or whatever other pieces of learning you know that you can that you can come up with and go put boots on the ground go kind of get those light bulb moments you know you'll have a lot of them at first and uh you'll be like man jake said this or man he said this and go go get those moments go have that you know scout hard find your bucks be aggressive don't be scared of failing you know that failure is the best learning lesson hands down and most importantly have fun you know we're out there to have fun to provide for our families a little bit and really really just uh have a good time i know when i first heard someone say like failing is okay and you know and and deer hunting and that's how he became successful was andre DeQuisto when i first really started to listen to podcasts and i was like wait what like he, he andre failed like he's killed a lot of big bucks but he what do you mean he failed and he's talked about for you know for he's been obviously been hunting for a long time but it took him years to figure it out but he was always failing and that's why he was he ended up being so good and killing these big deer because he failed so much so he learned so much from it really good point yep exactly so well i really appreciate it brother um it was nice meeting you last weekend and we'll have to stay in touch hopefully we can you know uh get some good bucks on the ground this year and Maybe we can bounce some pictures back and forth and, and whatnot. But I really appreciate you coming on. I was finally able to to get the time to, to get you on, and we figured out tonight was the night. So appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, you have yourself a good night, and, uh, yeah, we'll keep in contact for sure. Um, Sounds if you, good, brother. If you want to plug your uh, social media, go ahead. Uh, maybe your YouTube if you want, you know, people on there. I know you got some pretty good videos on there, that 180, and then – your uh your public land buck last year that was a pretty good video as well so go ahead and plug those yep and uh my buddy drew's video he came down from michigan and hunted some public down here and got on a good buck to uh day one actually so it was awesome but yeah so my uh, first off you know if you guys have questions uh we can do more podcasts you can message me on my instagram jake bush solo you can look me up on facebook just at jake bush or you can uh, jump over on YouTube at Legends of the Hunt and watch some of those videos and follow along. For sure, man. Uh, maybe eventually get you back on here at some point, maybe after the season or, or whatnot. I, I, ima- I imagine uh, you know we can probably do this again after the season. Hopefully we have some successful stories to tell, that's for sure. So. Hey, we will. Remember right. that. We, we will have. We will. Stories. There you go. Yeah, confidence. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, brother. We'll, we'll talk to you soon, all right? All right, man. Have a good night. See ya. So there you have it. Um, Good episode with Jake Bush there. Man, and just get you pumped um, to, you know, to get out and scout and get out there and get on a good deer. But um, I thought we went over some pretty good stuff. Hopefully you guys can can take these tactics and use them this season. But um, let's get back to the verse. It is out of john it's john 3 
8. And it says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And that's talking about being born again, um, being a Christian, and following Christ. And that's really what the main goal is here. Um, you know, having that relationship with Christ. And um, it's kind of funny how it says the wind blows, like we, like Jake and I talked about, wind direction and thermals and stuff like that. So I, th I thought that was pretty cool. But I appreciate you guys listening. Again, I thought this was a really good episode. Hopefully we can have Jake on again at some point. Um, and you guys can use these tactics that we talked about and hopefully get on a good deer this year. So um, if you guys can get on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a written review, that would be awesome. Really appreciate that. We're Again, we're trying to reach more people. And I'm coming out with a, a lot of good episodes in the near future. So appreciate it. Um, work for it is kind of our slogan now and may God bless your hunt the spirit of the woods is like an old good friend makes me feel warm and good inside and I knew his name and it was good to see him again cause in the wind he's still alive trails again Take me back Back where I belong Oh, Fred Bear I'm glad to have you at my side, my friend And I've torn you in the big hunt before too long Before too long